We're looking at Isaiah and chapter 7 and the 14th verse, and we come to the second portrait of Christ. We thought this morning of Jesus as the great light in chapter 9, and we come this evening to think of Jesus as the amazing sign. The largest sign in the world, according to the Guinness Book of Records, is located in Dubai Airport. It measures 174 square meters. The sign is an advert for Nissan cars. It was erected in 2013, is colorful and well-designed. The writing on it is so large that commuters rushing through the airport from one terminal to another late for a flight, shepherding young children, pushing a wheelchair, carrying numerous cases, will still be able to read the message. The sign is big and bold and beautiful. The announcement of the birth of Jesus by Isaiah in 733 BC, during the civil war between Judah and Israel and Syria, is described in this chapter as a sign. 7.14 reads, the Lord himself will give you a sign. A sign is something visible and points away from itself to something else. The sign to Bangor is not Bangor with its Greenway, Marina, and of course its Greggs. So the birth of Jesus predicted in this verse was a sign to the king of Judah, Ahaz, in the 8th century BC. But what was it a sign of, you are asking? It was a sign of the faithfulness of God to his promise to preserve the line of David. The royal line of David is under threat by the civil war in the 8th century. The northern states of Syria and Israel, as we read in the chapter, a confederate against Judah in the south. King Ahaz of the house of David, in verse 13, is worried about defeat by these two superior powers. But God assures him that Judah will not be defeated and offers him to choose any sign to confirm the promise of God. Now, King Ahaz, as we read, in a show of fake piety, declines the offer more through unbelief than through piety. But God gives them a sign anyway. And the sign that God gave to King Ahaz is that Judah will not be annihilated in this civil war in the 8th century because the Messiah is going to be born to the house of David. Boys and girls, what is the first thing that you look at when you sit down at the table or look for, I think, and you can correct me afterwards, I think the first thing that you look for at the table, and probably adults do the same, is to see if there's a dessert spoon on the table. And this dessert spoon is a sign that there is more to come. You might struggle through the vegetable broth You might struggle with the turkey and ham and those Brussels sprouts, but what will keep you going is the dessert spoon, that sign 
of something wonderful to come after the main course and starter. And so it was with this sign. Through the civil war in the 8th century, King Ahaz could hold on to this sign and all those after him that the royal line of David will not be annihilated because the Messiah was to come from the house of David. As you can imagine, the signs of God are usually spectacular. This is not Banksy with his gifted imagination that we're talking about here. This is God with his infinite mind. So the rainbow is an amazing sign. The miracles in in Egypt, the plagues, were an amazing sign. The miracles of Jesus were incredible signs. And so too is this birth of Jesus, prophesied here in the 700s B.C., And while a sign points to something else, the spectacular signs of God are worthy of our study. And so tonight, we're stopping at this sign. We're reading this sign. We're studying this sign. We're thinking about this sign. And we're noting three amazing things about this sign. The first is the amazing conception of Jesus. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, verse 14, and bear a son. That was amazing. That was miraculous. Virgin means a young woman of marriageable age who has remained pure. The Hebrew word has a wider <coughs> meaning of a young unmarried woman. But the Centuagint narrows the meaning to a young, pure, unmarried woman of marriageable age. The Apostle Matthew confirms the word used in the Greek Septuagint. The amazing and miraculous aspect of the birth of Jesus was not that Mary was incapable of having children. She was capable, but that the natural process was bypassed. The virgin shall conceive. Brought up in Perth, we had a a very popular uh, uh, agricultural market and farmers from Northern Ireland would travel across to Perth to buy their bulls in the September bull sales for their work. Shepherds here buy rams in Balamina for their work. This is the natural process The striking aspect of this sign was that Jesus was born apart from that natural process. His was a supernatural conception, above, outside of, and separate from the natural process. The birth and gestation period of Jesus was natural, but the conception of Jesus was not Never before had this happened, and never again will it happen. Though there were other significant births, such as Isaac to Sarah and to Abraham in their old age, two people were involved, two humans were involved. So with Samson, so with John the Baptist's birth, unusual births, but spouses were involved in every case. In the case of Jesus, Only one human person was involved. 
the virgin shall conceive the amazing conception of Jesus. And by the power of God, we too can accomplish the impossible. And as we break off from 2022 and enter 2023, what an idea, what a concept, what a possibility to carry with us over this threshold that we too, by the power of God, can accomplish what seems impossible. Scripture contains numerous examples of ordinary humans being given supernatural abilities. This is much more in a different league from amazing human achievements. Yesterday, an ex-Royal Marine triple amputee swam one kilometre in the sea off the coast of Portsmouth to set a new record. That is an incredible achievement, but humans empowered by God have done much more. You remember Elijah, enabled by God to ascend into heaven. We know humans can only travel into space with a lot of help and support. Tim Peake has described the large team on the ground, over 100,000 personnel to support him and all the equipment that he needed to travel into and survive in space. But Elijah, with the help of God, goes beyond nature. He didn't morph into a bird and fly into heaven. Remaining human, he was given extraordinary capabilities so that his lungs didn't burst or that he didn't freeze or fry on the journey. Lazarus, by the power of God, comes to life again. Peter, by God's power, walks on the water. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego survive the Babylonian furnace. So Mary... The young virgin becomes the mother of our Lord by the power of the Spirit. In announcing the virgin birth to Mary, the angel gives the reason. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Dead Lazarus living. Peter walking on water. Elijah sending through the Milky Way. Mary, the virgin, becoming a mother. We too face impossible situations, can hold on to this important aspect of the amazing birth of Jesus. This passage also reminds us that God uses godly people. The Bible promotes moral purity. And it is a good and a pure young person that God selects to be the vessel for his son. And as we seek to live a holy life, God will use us. We like to use clean cutlery to eat our turkey and are distraught at the sight of food particles lodged between the prongs of our fork. And God likes to use godly people We can also learn that there will be suffering in the service of Jesus. The virgin shall conceive. 
Despite this prophecy about the virgin birth, despite Mary's explanations, her complete innocence, her moral purity, her evident godliness, there would always be a cloud of suspicion hanging over her. She had to settle it in her heart that God knew the truth. She would hear whispers in her community, oh, she couldn't wait, or that's her story. Sometimes we also will be misunderstood. Sometimes we will have to carry to our graves a misunderstanding. Sometimes God will impose a circumstance on us as just here, which causes us to be misunderstood, a circumstance outside of our control, but very much in God's control. But this prophecy helps us to see that the many connections of such a circumstance can redound for the good of many. It's helped us as we dwell on the neglect, the shame, the rejection, the cold shouldering, the reproach, the shunning which Mary perhaps experienced by being chosen to be a virgin mother. Yet we see something of the big picture. This event helped King Ahaz in 733 BC. This event brought salvation to multitudes. This event was absolutely necessary for the forgiveness of any human person. And we can ask that the cross that we are carrying, that the affliction that we are enduring will likewise be used by God to be a blessing to others. The amazing conception of Jesus. Secondly, the amazing character of Jesus. The second amazing aspect of this child is his character in boyhood. This is mentioned in verse 14. He will refuse the evil and choose the good. This prophecy is giving us an insight into the soul of the boy Jesus, into his will, into his choices. He will choose the good. It is advancing us in the life of Jesus from his amazing birth into his amazing boyhood. Amazing in this sense that he was perfect. We love our nieces, our nephews, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. But of not a single one of them could it be said that they always refuse the evil and choose the good. Only of the boy Jesus can this be said. Jesus was the same as other boys in many ways. His diet, for example, in in these verses indicates that he ate the same food as other poor children. He ate honey and curds in verse 15. Though miraculously born, Jesus would be poor and eat along with others the food of the poor. His mother, at his dedication, offered the poor offering. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. He had to ask the crowd for a penny on one occasion. But he would be different in his behavior. He would only, ever, always choose the good. Though little is recorded of his boyhood, of his adolescence, of the first 30 years of Jesus, the statement of God at his baptism covers those years. This is my beloved son in whom 
I am well pleased. This is the outworking of his miraculous birth. That he was born by the the power of God coming upon the Virgin Mary so that his human nature was free of sin. He always chose the good and refused the evil. Imagine it. Every word, every thought, every deed, at the table, in the street, on the job, among the family, toward the neighbors, always choosing the good and refusing the evil. I grew up, boys and girls, uh, with the cartoon character Ur Willy. Uh, it was uh, about a little Scottish boy, probably based in Dundee, who sat on a bucket and got up to all kinds of boyhood mischief. And one aspect of his life that he would be faced with a choice and in the cartoons would appear a good angel and a bad angel speaking to him. The bad angel egging him on, encouraging him to do the bad and the good angel trying to refrain him from such a deed. And Jesus was faced in his boyhood with evil and with good. But he always chose the good and refused the evil. And for every action, there is a good and a bad choice to be made. There is a good and an evil way to respond to criticism. There is a good and an evil way to think of our enemies. The boy Jesus not only knew the options, he always chose the good. All his thoughts, all his words, all his actions. And what a a wonderful thing this is because as people get older, sometimes the sins of their youth haunt them. And they struggle with the wrong that they did when they were young. But a passage like this is wonderfully comforting that Jesus at every stage of his life is providing for us a perfect righteousness which covers over every stage of our experience. What an example he is for us, isn't he? To choose the good and refuse the evil. As children, as teenagers, as adults, choosing the good, refusing the evil. And thirdly, the amazing calling of Jesus, God with us, The name that he has given here in in verse 14. Call his name Emmanuel. What a name this is. What an assertion of this supernaturally conceived person. Who will always choose the good and refuse the evil. The angel told Mary from the start how incredible this child would be. We rejoice in his birth and what it means for us encased in this name that God is with us. That he has become man, as John puts it, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. This assertion indicates that we could not save ourselves, doesn't it? 
God would not need to come and and be with us and, and among us and for us if we could work out our own salvation by our own efforts and endeavors. But God is with us. Because we cannot save ourselves, ourselves, he comes graciously and mercifully to us in his son, Jesus Christ. He is with us with his sympathy. He is with us with his understanding. He is with us with his presence. He is for us. He is on our side. He is in our place. He is with us. Sometimes a teacher might snap her fingers And ask the class, are you with me? Are you following me? Are you involved in this lesson? Are you understanding what's going on? Or are you a million miles away thinking of something else? Sometimes the class is not always with her. But in this case, God the Son was with us. Fully, completely, in every way, in every dimension, in every aspect He experienced temptation in the full range of temptations. He wept, he hungered, he thirsted. He was with us in the fullest, deepest sense we can understand. The amazing conception. And we trust Jesus. We trust the historical account of his incarnation, his supernatural conception, announced 700 years before. Imagine someone predicting what will happen 700 years from now. Sci-fi films try to do that. Companies seek to anticipate what new thing will catch on in the market in two years' time and focus their research on that. It's so hard to predict the future. But here in detail, fulfilled in Matthew 1, 700 years in advance, the incarnation of Jesus is announced. Some older people wish they could live their life over again. They look back at wrong decisions which they made, which impacted the whole direction of their life, and they are raked with with guilt and, and a sense of failure. We come to this account of Jesus choosing the good, living the perfect life of righteousness. And when we believe his perfect life, covers us. Every right choice, every good deed, every proper assessment, all that we wished we had done and haven't done, Jesus has done and his perfect life is welded over all our failures. The amazing character of Jesus. Let us follow Jesus the one who chose the good and refused the evil. Kind words instead of evil words. Generous actions instead of mean actions. Humble thoughts instead of proud thoughts. Love instead of hate. Forgiveness instead of grudges. There's a great story about Spurgeon who started his ministry at 17 in Water Beach in the area of Cambridge. And when he started his ministry, he was young, he was outspoken, he was abrasive at at times. And this 
particular person within the town did not like him and would lambast him as he went for his groceries and walked up the street. What would he do? How would he respond? How would you respond to such public ridicule, mockery and belittling? He spoke to her as if he'd never heard her. He chose the good, refused the evil. The amazing calling, God with us. That was his role, his purpose with us as our representative, with us as our savior, with us in sympathy, compassion, and love on our side for us. Our colleagues, our neighbors, they look at the world today. They look at their life, the war in Ukraine, the strikes in the UK, the poverty in Sudan, the snowfall in the USA, the drowning of the young boys in Birmingham. And they ask, where is God? We look at Jesus and we know where he is. He is with us. He is Emmanuel living and dying for our salvation. Isn't it incredible that the words Emmanuel in verse 14 are immediately followed by the words curds and honey in verse 15? God with us and yet poverty and God with us stand together. And world poverty or our poverty is no evidence that God is not with us. Our trials and other trials are no evidence that God has abandoned us. For we know That the Bible's message is that to have plenty on this day without God in our life is to be absolutely poor. But to have little today with God in our life is to be absolutely rich. Rich. 